If you guys don't know uh, Kevin, maybe you've never met him. Kevin uh, is our groups and disciple-making pastor at our Carmel campus, but he is leaving at the end of May to go uh, do some ministry elsewhere. He's got a really cool idea that I know he'd love to talk to you about after the service if you haven't talked to him about that. But this may be his last weekend at Noblesville before he goes. We don't know that yet. So uh, if you haven't said your goodbyes to Kevin, you should do that. Kevin, uh, other defining characteristic of Kevin is he claims to be the funniest person on staff. So if you want to debunk that with him, you can do that. Uh, thanks for being here today. I just want to get a good look around the room here and see who else didn't get to go on spring break. Let's see. <laughs> Not very many of us, right? Actually, I'm joking. Uh, my wife and I are leaving right after we're done here uh, to go on our spring break, which I'm very excited about because when I was a kid, we, all of our vacations, almost all of our vacations were centered around going to visit our grandparents, my grandparents. Uh, we didn't go to the beach like all the normal families did in my class. Uh, when we did the, what did you do this summer? Uh, we got to go to Southern West Virginia. That's what we did. We went to West Virginia and we got to go visit my, my grandparents. And my grandparents lived in a really small town. They lived up on a hill in West Virginia and there were no video games, okay? There were no, there was no cable TV like for a kid, it was, I mean, my grandparents were there and I'm really thankful for that time, blah, 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 whatever. But <laughs> for a kid, it was a boring place to be. You know what I'm saying? It was a boring place to be. And so, uh, but they did live up on a hill. And then if you went down their hill to the kind of the road that ran through their neighborhood, their um, subdivision or whatever, then there was a, a mountain on the other side. Well, I called it a mountain. It was it was a big hill, it was a much bigger hill, like maybe 300 feet to the top, right? And so uh, from the time I was a kid, I dreamed about like climbing this mountain. That was what my idea of as a kid was mountain climbing. And so one day my little sister and I, Sherry, were very bored and I just said, hey, let's see if we can climb up the mountain. So I asked my dad, dad, can we, can we climb up the mountain? Sherry wants to go with me, we'll go together. And he says, um, yeah, you can go, that's fine. What are you gonna do if there's an old man up there with a shotgun that chases you away? <laughs> It's like, well, I, that was a possibility that never crossed my mind before, but uh, I said, I don't know, we'll run back down probably. And so uh, we, we started going up, and the first, like, third of this hill is all grass. You just walk through the grass to get up it, and then it turns into trees. It's pretty wooded up there. So we, we, we climb up this hill. probably takes us 20 minutes to get up to the top of this thing, and we're having a good time at the top because we're able to look at, and we can look down and see my grandma's house, and then we can look around and see all the landmarks we know from the town, all the, the stores that we've gone to and things like that. And we hear, as we're looking around, this muffled voice just, and we didn't know what it, what it was, but we could tell it was somebody's voice. And I said, what was that? My sister's like, I don't know. I said, well, maybe we should probably head down anyway. So we just started, we took maybe three or four steps and we heard this very clearly this time, get off my mountain. Okay, there's the man with the shotgun. Uh, and so we start walking a little faster and we start walking a little faster and we hear it one more time, get off my mountain. And so now my sister looks at me and she goes, I'm scared, Steve. And I was like, I'm supposed to be the big brother. And I'm like four years older than she is, right? And I'm like, I'm scared too, let's go. And so we start running down this hill. And as we're running, I start hearing somebody running behind us. Like I can hear the leaves rustling, I can hear the sticks cracking. We're running through these trees, we're, we're trying not to trip over the roots. Um, I'm going full speed down this hill. I have no idea where my sister is. But hey, if that's the price I have to pay for being safe at the bottom of the hill, it's a price I'm willing to pay. Uh, we're running down this hill, we're running away from this person who keeps screaming, get off my mountain. And I'm like, at that moment, I just had this thought, 
I wish my dad had come with me. Like, he wouldn't know what to do. I wish my dad were here. And so we run, get down out of the woods. I get into the grass. I turn around. My sister's right there next to me, thankfully. I'm not going to get in trouble for that. I get down to the bottom of the hill, and I turn around, and come running out of the woods is my dad, who's chasing me down the hill, saying, get off my mountain, and just laughing as hard as he can. Well, you know, whether you have a, a great dad or just an okay dad or a horrible dad, uh, your dad is still just a man, right? He's a human. And even though there might be times when you think, I wish my dad was here, he would know what to do. Um, your dad is imperfect, was imperfect and flawed. And, but today I want to show you a story to remind you that you have a heavenly father, uh, a God who is ever-present, who is with you in times of trouble and who will never leave your side. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to John chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing today on our series called Grow, as Kevin said. And as the name applies, the, the purpose behind that is for us to grow together as a church and to grow in our relationship with Jesus in 2022. And we're doing that by studying through uh, the Gospel of John. Here on Sunday mornings and in our connection groups, uh, for most of the year, we're going to be working through, kind of verse by verse, the book of John. Uh, we've got a reading plan. If you haven't been with us, there's a reading plan and a journal for you at the Info Hub. You can pick one of those up for free. We just want you to take that with you so you can be reading along with us. And last week, if you were here, Paul Mumar, our lead pastor, talked about this incredible miracle known as the feeding of the 5,000, but as Paul said, it's probably more like the feeding of the 20,000. Scripture tells us there were 5,000 men and their families present with five barley loaves and two small fish. And uh, Jesus showed compassion on this crowd by feeding them uh, all they wanted, and then the disciples were able to pick up 12 baskets of leftovers. This is one of the things I love about Jesus, his like, intentionality in situations like this. He understands this Sensitive interaction between meeting people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. You know, the, the people, the crowd that was there had very real spiritual needs, but he knew if I didn't meet their physical needs, they wouldn't be able to focus on those things. And so I've, I've heard people, people have told me in the past that they think the church should be all about feeding the poor and taking care of the homeless. And I think that's a really important mission of the church, but we can't be all about that because if we're all about that, then we miss these very real spiritual needs that people have. If you just feed people and take care of people's physical needs, right, you're missing out on their very real spiritual needs that, that they could be uh, physically okay, but eternally dead. And if you just try to meet the spiritual needs of people who have very real physical needs, well, they can't really focus on that part because they're just trying to live and meet, uh, meet their needs day by day by day. And so there's this really great balance that we see Jesus striking between people's physical needs and spiritual needs. And as a church, we need to emulate that. Jesus is our example. He's our model, right? And so we need to emulate that. Well, what I want you to notice is that the story that we're going to look at today happens right after that big picnic, okay, right after that happened, that same night, in fact, and so we're going to start in John 6, 16, if you've got your Bibles open. If not, they'll be on the side screens for you. It says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined him. Now, if you remember this from last week, Paul showed this map of uh, Israel. The Sea of Galilee is right up here. Capernaum is on the north uh, west coast, and they had sailed across the lake. So somewhere down in this region most likely is where they were, and that's where they fed the 5,000. There's some hills over there. They would have walked up on the hilltop. Jesus would have started preaching. People would have gotten hungry late in the day. He fed them, and uh, then they sailed away. Uh, now, the Sea of Galilee is situated 680 feet below sea level, and uh, it's surrounded by mountains on many sides, 
And so it's well known for uh, being a place where weather squalls can pop up all of a sudden, right? Because the flow of the weather, this place was known for being beautiful one moment, and then the next moment the winds would blow in, a storm would come through. Um, isn't that a great metaphor for life, by the way? <laughs> like one moment everything seems fine, and then all of a sudden the phone rings, or you get a text or an email, and it's your boss, it's your doctor, it's your spouse. Things change, right? Life can be unpredictable. The Sea of Galilee was like that. The Sea of Galilee was unpredictable. You couldn't ever predict what it was going to be like. And notice verse 17 says that it was already dark, but Jesus had not yet come to them. And if you notice as you read through Scripture, and especially as you read through John, the absence of Jesus is almost always noted by darkness. I think about this on the cross. Uh, we'll talk about this story in a couple weeks at, uh, on Good Friday, but on the cross, as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath, that the sun disappeared from the sky, right? It became dark. So there's this uh, metaphor we see in Scripture for darkness is the absence of Jesus. Verse 18 says, A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. So a windstorm pops up, and the disciples are fighting against it. How many of you like storms? Any storm chasers in the room? Anybody, yeah, that when a storm comes, you hop in the minivan, right, and you drive down to the nearest cornfield, and you see if you can see a funnel cloud, a tornado. Uh, There's a tornado warning. You're out of the house, uh, out on the road. How many of you are more like basement goers? (laughs) Like if a storm comes, you're in the basement, more basement goers than than storm chasers. If you remember a couple weeks ago, that storm that happened uh, Saturday night, you remember that? Or three o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. I always remember Sunday morning storms because they wake me up before I'm supposed to wake up. Uh, Middle of the night, three o'clock, all of our phones go off. And you're like, okay, whole family's up. We're down. We had... uh, me, my, my wife, my two daughters, and our two dogs crammed into the powder room in our house. I was wedged between the sink and the wall, like just standing there waiting for the weather to pass. But as soon, my kids made fun of me because as soon as the danger was over, I walked out onto the back patio and started watching the storm go by, right? You guys like to do that? You watch the storm, right? Yeah, that's what happens. Storms on land, though, are one thing. Storms on the sea when you're in a boat are another thing altogether. Now, think about this. They got in the boat immediately after cleaning up from dinner, so likely it was getting dark, okay? And this is an important note. It's evening right now when they start. And then Scripture tells us that late at night, we'll see in a minute, late at night they were still in sight of Jesus up on the hill. All right, look at how verse 19 starts. It says this, When they had rowed about three or four miles... (laughs) Now this small detail that John adds may not seem like much significance, but if we look at Matthew's account... He informs us that this happened during the fourth watch of the night, so between 3 and 6 a.m. So the disciples start out in the evening time while it's still light. It's getting dark. They start out. They've rowed three or four miles, and now it's sometime in the early morning. Now, these are trained fishermen, remember, which means they know their way around a boat. And uh, they had battled windstorms before, but here they are. They're stuck in the middle. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is seven miles wide by 12 miles long. So three or four miles puts you right square in the center of the lake. Hmm. They're in a precarious situation. They're in a desperate, helpless position in the middle of a storm, in a boat, in the middle of the lake. They're beaten down, they're tired, and they're exhausted. I think this is an important lesson for us, and it's this. Um, You're going to go through storms. Following Jesus doesn't exempt us from facing storms. Uh, The disciples went through storms. You'll go through storms. Maybe you're facing a storm today. Maybe it's a, it's a job situation. The old one has come to an end, and 
or it's coming to an end and you're not quite sure what you're going to do next. Maybe you've got some options, maybe you don't. Uh, some of you are going through uh, rough waters in your marriage right now. Uh, maybe you're waiting for some answers about your health. You're waiting for the test results. You're waiting to find a doctor who can help. You feel like you're being buffeted by the wind and the waves. Or you're single and you're trying to decide, is he the one? Is she, is she the one? Is anyone the one? Like, is the one out there? Lord, do you have anyone for me? Maybe there's some family stuff going on with your kids or your parents. And, or you and your spouse have been trying to get pregnant. You want to have kids and that's not working and you don't know what's happening there or Maybe it's a friendship at school or at work that's falling apart. You're in a storm, and you're not making any progress. What storms are you facing today? And what questions are you asking God about those storms? Maybe it's, why, why am I in this? Like, why am I in this storm? Why, why do I have to go through this? I, I wonder if the disciples felt that. These guys were close to Jesus. They knew him personally. Why would he let them go through something like this? Well, real quickly, before we go on, I think we all wonder that in tough times. And, and let's just ask this question, where do storms come from? Why do we face storms? Quickly, I think, uh, before we see what happens here, there are basically, I think, three reasons that we face storms. Uh, number one, sometimes storms are our fault. They come as a result of poor decisions. We bring them on ourselves. We make bad choices, and we have to live with the consequences of those choices. Sometimes the storms come because we just did something dumb. It happens. Uh, sometimes storms come from your enemy. I want you to know that you have a very real enemy. Satan is real, and uh, he's as real as Jesus, okay? The Bible says he tempts us. We know his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy, and maybe he's responsible for the storm in your life, but sometimes, most of the time, many times, storms come simply because we live in a broken world. You know, one small, or, uh, the Bible, uh, one small detail that both Matthew and Mark include in their gospel accounts that John doesn't, so John kind of lets us down here, is that Jesus ordered the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him and take the boat across the lake. You know what that tells me? <laughs> it says you can be following Jesus and even be obedient to him and you still experience storms in life. Our world is broken. It's filled with sin. It's far from God's original design, but don't be discouraged by that. Revelation 21 tells us that for followers of Jesus, there is a day coming when there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more tears and no more mourning and no more sorrow, that God is going to make all things new. How many of you like new things? If you like new things, you're going to love heaven because God is always making all things new. He's going to put the pieces of our broken world back together again. And that's why Jesus was able to say, in this life, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So now his disciples are out on this boat and they're exhausted. They're in the middle of the lake and what happens? Verse 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Well, no, duh. <laughs> so they're right in the middle of the lake. Here comes Jesus just walking across the top of the water, once again, turning the sea into a highway. This is the second showing of his deity, twice in 24 hours, right? He had just fed 20,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And now he shows this show of his deity walking across the water. It seems like something big is coming. Now, there's also an important element to this story that's not captured in John's gospel, but it is in Matthew's. I want to see this. So if you put your finger in your Bible and you turn uh, back a few pages to Matthew 14, what you'll see is this. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. John captures that. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. 
it is I, don't be afraid. Now, Jesus says, this is really important to capture the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the essence of this right here, okay? Jesus said, it is I, which literally translated is, I am. Now, this is another declaration of his deity. You know, if you remember when God appeared to Moses in the Old Testament, and he told him to go to Pharaoh and demand that he let the Israelites go, Moses asked the question to God, who should I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am. And this is how Jesus responds to the disciples, do not be afraid, I am. And so it's another declaration uh, of his deity. He's once again claiming to be God, and he says, take courage, don't be afraid. And so here's a question for you if you're facing storms today. Why shouldn't we be afraid? If you're in a storm, a storm not of your own choosing, why shouldn't we be afraid? Does God know something that we don't know? Well, the answer to that question is always yes, okay? God knows something you don't. God sees things we can't. He knows things we never will. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Isaiah says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But there's two things I want to tell you today. There's two reasons why we don't have to fear when you're in a storm. Number one is this. If you're in a storm right now, you are in the storm with his presence. You're not alone. When you are in Christ, you will never be alone. God's presence will always be with you. After Jesus sent the disciples away, look at how the gospel writer Mark captures this story. Mark 6, 47 says this, Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, Jesus, was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. And it says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. If you're in a tough situation right now, one that you don't want to be in, I want to tell you today that you're not alone. You may be in a storm right now, but you are in a storm with his presence. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. Do you know that when I was climbing up that big hill in West Virginia, that my dad was watching me the whole time. Like he knew that I wasn't going to get in any trouble because he was there. He was present with me. You know, even though the disciples felt alone, Jesus had never left them. He was always watching them. He was up on this hill and he could see them straining at the oars. And at just the right time, at just the right time, right when they needed it, he determined it was time to move in closer and go to them. You know, if you ever have trusted Christ as your Savior, he is there with you in the storm. Even in the storm right now, even if the storm comes tomorrow, God is with you. He'll always be with you. Some just verses that I thought of this week that reminded me that God is always with us, Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you're up against, no matter what you're facing, no matter how desperate it may seem, he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never turn his back on you. His presence is with you. We are in the storm with his presence. The second reason we don't have to fear is this. You are in the storm for his purpose. You know, we don't know exactly why this happened as it did for the disciples. 
But remember, Jesus sent them off in the boat. He sent them on ahead. Did he know something they didn't? I mean, he went to the side of the mountain to pray. He must have had a great view of the disciples as they started out and eventually found themselves in the middle of the lake, rowing against the wind and in the middle of the storm. And again, uh, uh, Matthew captures that he was praying for them. Maybe he was asking the Father to increase their faith. It's the same with you. If you're in a storm, you can trust that God is going to use it for his purpose. Romans 8.28 tells us that he uses all things, even bad things, he uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what I believe, that God was using this storm. Why would God let him sit in the storm? Because he wanted to increase their faith through it and dependence on him. And then there's this other detail that John doesn't give us, but Matthew does. Matthew 14, 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I just think this is hilarious because Peter could have asked him for probably anything right here. Have you ever thought about that? Lord, if it's you, turn this sea into chocolate milk right now. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, you know, turn Andrew into a walrus. Whatever he wanted to do, he could have asked. But what does he say? He looks at Jesus and he says, I could ask for anything, but I want to do what he's doing right now. Like, I want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And look what happens. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. How incredible is that? And then at verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, but when he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the wind and he saw the storm, he was afraid. And so many times when we think about this story, we think about poor Peter. Oh, poor Peter, if he'd only had more faith. You know, he's so often remembered as the guy who failed to walk on water because of his fear. Epic fail, Peter, right? But wait a minute. He was the only guy that got out of the boat. He was the only one that made the attempt. He, his request, his boldness gave him the opportunity to experience the power of God like he had never experienced it before. Peter was impulsive in stepping out of the boat, no doubt about it. But he was impulsive because of his faith. And he didn't know Jesus very well, and he hadn't been around him for very long, but he knew enough to know what he was capable of. I wonder if it's about time for some of us to take a radical step, a step of faith toward Jesus. You know, maybe part of what God wants to do in your life today, and especially if you're facing a storm or you're, you think you might be about to be in a storm, I wonder if what God wants to do in your life today and, and through this story is increase your faith and your dependence on him. So for some of you, it might look like, you know, you need to take a step and start giving or start serving at a church. Maybe for you, it's to start praying. Start praying about something that God's going to do in your life. Maybe you need to take a step and ask for the power to overcome your disbelief. Like you're not quite sure what's happening. And you, I think I know that God's real. I think I know something about Jesus, but I've got a little disbelief in me. Maybe you need to ask for the power to overcome that. Maybe you need the power to break off an inappropriate or unhealthy relationship or to give your marriage another shot or to extend forgiveness to somebody else who's hurt you and you know that's going to be hard. It's going to be a painful conversation, but the Lord is calling you to do that. Maybe it's to hand all your worries and all your anxieties to him. 
For some of you, that big step of faith is going to be to get baptized in a couple of weeks, to show your friend and family, friends and family, that you belong to the Lord, to, to confront that friend who's struggling with sin. And you know you've got the voice to speak into their life. To some of you, we need to talk to someone about your relationship with God. That you see in their life that they're going through storms, and part of the reasons they're going through storms is because they're not connected to God. And if you would just talk to them about your relationship, that would make a difference. To some of you, a big step of faith is to give him the anxiety and the fears that you're facing, or to ask him to give you the faith to get out of the boat and come to him. You know, maybe you've never made that decision to make Jesus the center of your life, and Jesus is standing there. He says, come to me. Walk to me on the water. Maybe you say, well, that won't work. What if, what if I fall? That's a great question because you might. You could fail. You take a bold step of faith, you could fail. The surgery might not work. The marriage might fall apart anyway. You could still get cut from the team. You might fail. You might fail. But you just might walk on water. And here's what I know for sure. If you just stay in the boat, you'll never walk on water. If you just stay in the boat, you'll never experience God's best for your life. Peter had faith for a few seconds, but then reality hit him, and he realized that he was walking on the water. I can just hear one of the disciples saying to him, dude, you are walking on the water. And Peter looks around and goes, whoop, and sinks right into the sea. He took his eyes off Jesus, and he started to sink. But did he fail? Like, is that failure? Or is failure never taking a step out of the boat? Is failure the rest of the guys who sat there and mocked him and didn't have the faith to do what Peter was doing? Here's what you need to see. Peter had 11 guys sitting in the boat saying he was crazy. But here's what I know. I'd rather be out on the stormy sea with Jesus than safe in the boat without him. Look at what happens next. Matthew 14, 31 tells us, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Peter took this step of faith towards God, and who was here to catch him? Jesus was. Because of his pure childlike faith, he got to experience something that none of the others did. And when he fell, Jesus was there with him and more than capable to lift him up out of the water. That means if you take that bold step of faith, when Jesus calls you and you step toward him, if you do fail, he is sufficient to pick you up. He, he can lift you up out of the water even today, no matter the storm, no matter how far you have fallen. Now, as we get ready to close here, I want to get back to John 6 because uh, there's this one detail. Don't sleep on this verse. All right, guys. John 6, 21. Don't sleep on this. Look at this. Then they were willing, they, the disciples were willing to take him into the boat. Jesus, they were willing to take Jesus into the boat. How kind of them. Um, and immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Did you catch that detail in there? Look at this. They're in the middle of the lake. They took Jesus into the boat. And then immediately, they reached the shore where they were headed. They were in the middle of the lake. And Jesus gets into the boat, and immediately they reach the shore where they were headed. Part of the sign, part of the miracle was Jesus immediately getting the boat out of danger and safe to shore. This is why I think this miracle was meant to grow the disciples' faith. Because look, Jesus could have gotten them to shore anytime he wanted to. But to display his power, to display his goodness, to display his sufficiency, he had to let the disciples experience the storm 
with him in his presence for his purpose. And Matthew tells us that at the end of the experience, those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Friends, when people get out of the boat, amazing things happen. I mean, what if everybody here, everybody in this room today were to say, I want to get out of the boat. What if everyone here were to say, Jesus, call me, I'm yours. Can you imagine the kind of power that could be released through a church all taking a bold step of faith towards Jesus according to God's call and in the name of Jesus, we can have amazing influence on our friends, on our family, our coworkers, fellow students, our neighbors. The person who one minute is saying, you idiot, get back into the boat will be the same ones who after watching you walk across the water say, surely Jesus is the son of God. Look, Guys, the boldest step, the boldest step that anyone has ever taken is when Jesus stepped down out of heaven for you. You know, in John chapter 1, the Bible tells us that he was with God and he was God, but at the right time, he took on flesh and he came to earth to dwell among us so that he could rescue us from the penalty of sin, the penalty of death by taking a criminal's death on a cross. And when he did, when he died on that cross, he took all of our sin and all of our shame and he piled it on himself and he took it to the tomb with him. But on the third day when he was raised from the dead, our sin, our shame did not come back up out of the grave with him. It stayed there dead and buried. And when we are in Christ, we are made white as snow. And friends, it's not because of anything that you or I have done, but it's because of what Christ has done for us. It's because of his sacrifice. And that's why it honors God to take a bold step toward Jesus. Do not be afraid. His presence will go with you. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for that story and for the reminder that uh, when we face storms, that we are there in your presence and for your purpose. I'm so thankful we have this picture of the disciples and this storm that they got to face because, uh, Lord, without it, it would be hard to see how something really scary could be good for us. But now we have this story to remind us that, that your goodness and your grace, that your uh, presence can pull us out of the storm. Lord, we know uh, in this room right now, there are a lot of us that are in the middle of something that we don't know quite how we got there and we don't see how we're gonna get out. Lord, I just pray right now for each and every person in this room that's facing a storm. Lord, that you know their situation. Just as you saw the disciples in the boat, you see them now. Lord, would you just remind them this week that you are there with them, that they are not facing this alone. Would you remind us that you are the God of faithful promises. Your promise is that you will be with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, when we make it to that shore safely, we will give you all the praise and all the glory you deserve for that. Thank you, God, for your presence today. In Jesus' name.